Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode two of the Stronger Than Reason podcast. And as you might tell uh, by looking at this green t field that we have here and the CD sitting upon it, those of you who are listening in podcast, you're not seeing anything, but I'll describe it for you. There's a CD sitting here, and it is Knights of Rab's Showtime. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so what am I doing here? I'm just a guy reviewing music, uh, some old CDs, primarily maybe some books, not necessarily things that are critically acclaimed, they're just things I love. And I want to kind of rediscover my CD collection. I was in my basement not long ago. I have hundreds of CDs down here that I collected over many, many years back in the day when music stores were a thing. I used to regularly inhabit my local used CD stores and, in fact, would spend quite a lot of time back in the day driving all around the state looking for obscure music. And that was a good time. Kind of don't miss spending that much time just collecting stuff, but it was fun while it lasted. And, you know, RIP collecting music, you know. And uh, this thing streaming that everybody's doing today... Uh, it's kind of killed collecting. If you want to hear a song, you just uh, dial it up on your device and you listen to it. But of course, back in the old days, we had to put in quite a bit more work to find the music that we loved. Um, you know, why CDs over vinyl for me or, or other formats? Why was I collecting CDs back in the 90s and the 2000s? And uh, just in a nutshell, it's because of the way I grew up. Um, I grew up in the 70s, you know, when I wanted to go buy a song, I would go to the store and I would buy, you know, a seven-inch vinyl single with that song on it. And I would play it on my sister's tiny record player that had a built-in little speaker. You know, I remember playing these singles from, you know, Blondie and uh, Wild Cherry and a bunch of bands, you know, and I would go out eventually and you know, buy, I bought Electric Avenue and, you know, whatever was popular at the time, and I would listen to them. And uh, the problem with that was that you couldn't take your music with you. And as some of you know, Sony came out with a wonderful innovation around that time called the Walkman. And the idea of the Walkman was that it was this little device and you could put cassettes into it and you could have headphones plugged in and you could listen to your music wherever you went. And it was a huge innovation at the time. So it's hard to believe, but cassettes were seen as a step forward past vinyl because now music was portable. It was more personal. You could uh, take it with you on the train or the bus or in your car, wherever you were. Uh, so as a kid going into my teen years, I was collecting cassettes. And cassettes had another wonderful feature, which was that you could copy them pretty easily. Um, Yes, long in the days before internet piracy, there was cassette piracy. And, you know, there were campaigns from the music industry saying that home taping was killing uh, the music industry, when actually it was the music industry killing the music industry. But we can talk more about that later. But the great advantage as a young consumer of music was that I could find music that my friends had and then use my little all-in-one stereo that had a double tape deck to copy the music that I loved onto my own blank cassettes. And that is how music proliferated in these prehistoric times. 
I know it's hard to believe, you know, how difficult life was back in the 90s and the 2000s when we had to deal with this stuff. Oh, primarily the 80s and 90s, what am I saying? So, yeah, that was my world for many years. And what happened around, I want to say around 1990 or so, is that CDs came out. And CDs were also portable, not unlike cassettes. And the great advantage was the sound quality. So finally, you could hear the music the way the artist intended. We were uh, able to record music with such digital exactitude that we could faithfully recreate the sound. There was none of this uh, second, third, fourth generation cassette tape hiss that you had to deal with. You were getting the full range of sound from that original recording. Um, so that was the great uh, marketing pitch that was given to us. So all of us music nerds dutifully went out and repurchased all of the music that we had al already bought on vinyl and cassette, now on CD. And I guess just the way things were going, I got stuck in that era of CDs. Um, the other nice thing about CDs was that they tended to have extra tracks on them. So as a previous cassette buyer, I often missed out on these bonus tracks because the format of cassettes didn't allow for the extra length of music. You could only just fit so much on a cassette before it got too thin and broke, which happened all the time with, you know, the equipment I was using. And uh, I'm sure many of us remember winding up broken tapes using a pencil by sticking it in the little hole there and spinning it around and then taping it together very carefully. Did that millions of times. Um, and I still do have most of my cassettes in deep storage somewhere, but I don't really listen to them anymore. They're interesting, though, as artifacts. Uh, another bad thing about CDs from the consumer perspective was that they were a bit more difficult to copy. Uh, you know, you could copy them onto blank cassettes, but then you kind of lost that random access capability that you had with a CD player, um, and you lost a little bit of quality transferring them to the itty-bitty magnetic tape. But for better or worse, I landed on CDs. CDs were what I collected as a kid. I was never a DJ. I was never that cool. Um, the other slight advantage about CDs that I've noticed is that they take up a hell of a lot less space. And at this point, being a middle-aged Gen Xer dude, the last thing I need is to repurchase my entire music collection on vinyl and you know try to come up with a storage solution for that that doesn't get me kicked out of my own house. Uh, and so that's where I am. That's why we're looking at a CD here. We're not looking at the extra cool import vinyl of Nights or Ebbs Showtime. So anyway, that's enough about CDs. Let's talk about this album. So first of all, I need to address the elephant in the room, which is the name. Uh, Nights or Ebb, what does it mean? Uh, the band tells us that it means absolutely nothing. When they were trying to come up with a cool name, they threw a bunch of syllables into a hat and pulled them out at random. They wanted it to sound vaguely Germanic. They came out with Knights or Ebb, and they say it means absolutely nothing. Just sounds cool. Fair enough. Um, when I was a kid growing up, we called it Knits or Ebb. Why did we do that? Well, we weren't trying to diss the band or anything. It was just that we had never heard it pronounced before. <laughs> And uh, again, this is the, the ancient pre-internet days where we couldn't just bring up a YouTube interview of the band saying their own name. Uh, we, all we had really were these liner notes that came 
with the disc itself, uh, with the album itself. And, you know, unlike some bands like KMFDM, uh, Knights of Reb never really says their own name on their songs. So to us, to our American eyes, it looked like it should be pronounced Nitzareb. That's how we pronounced it. And that's how I pronounced it for decades. <laughs> but on this podcast, I'm older, I'm wiser. I've listened to those YouTube interviews with the band and I know how they pronounce it. I know they don't care how it's pronounced either, but I will, uh, I will pronounce it the way I think that they prefer because we all deserve the right to, you know, be addressed in the way that we choose to be addressed. And I'm down with that. So Knights are up. That's the name. Um, when was the first time I ever heard this particular album? I have to say, this is the first Knights of Reb I ever heard. And uh, I think what happened was I copied the tape from a friend. It's probably the same friend I mentioned in the previous episode. He's still my friend, still turning me on to all sorts of new music, still has that important role in my life. Uh, so I think I copied it from him, and if I'm not mistaken, Skinny Puppies, Cleanse, Fold, and Manipulate was on the other side of that tape which is quite a, uh, that, that's not a pairing that really makes any kind of sense. But, you know, I didn't really try to do that artistically. It was whatever was available at the time. But he said, yeah, you might like this, this, this Knights of Reb thing. And I remember putting it on and it was just all aggressive beats and like chanting. And I thought it was pretty weird. There was really no singing. Um, but two things really stood out about this band right away. Um, one were uh, the arrangements were just very minimalistic. So it was really focused on beats and the bass. And as a listener, I really love that. So I, I mentioned before, like, I'm a drummer, uh, you know, I'm really interested in beats and the rhythm of the song and the energy that that brings. The other thing that was really interesting were Doug's vocals. Douglas McCarthy is the primary vocalist for this band. Uh, the other fellow in the band who's been the ongoing member is Bon Harris, and he does some vocals as well. They both have really interesting voices. Uh, Doug is the one who sings most of the songs, and his voice is just out, it, it's outstanding. It's just ridiculous. Uh, he has such a unique voice, such a powerful voice, he sounds like a crazy, crazy drill instructor in a way, and especially on the previous albums where the songs were a lot more repetitive. There was more like, you know, chanting going on, as you know, if you've ever heard Join in the Chant. But even some of their other songs, the lyrics were very chant-oriented, where maybe Doug probably wrote down a half a dozen random phrases and just shouted them at the top of his lungs over and over throughout the song. So... Yeah, interesting. Uh, the, the voice really pulls you in. And that, that combination of Bond's arrangements and instrumentation with Doug's vocals, it was a winner for me. It was amazing. Uh, so they'd released a few albums by this point. Showtime was released in 1990, and that's probably right around the time I heard it. Um, they had a few albums out. One, their earliest album that's out today is called Basic Pain Procedure. I don't even know that that was a thing back in the day because I haven't heard, I didn't hear of it until about three or four years ago. Maybe I'm clueless. I don't know. Maybe I, uh, maybe it was on vinyl or something much harder to get back then, but honestly never recalled hearing about that before, but it's a, it's a live album of 
mostly songs you've never heard before that only sort of kind of sounds like what I think Nights Are Up sounds like. So it's a curiosity. But the recording, in my opinion, is not that great from what I've heard. But it's definitely a thing. I don't have that on CD. Uh, the next thing I do have that they came out with, their their next earliest release is So Bright, So Strong, which is really just a compilation of a number of different singles that they released early in their career. So stuff like Isn't It Funny How Your Body Works, The Way You Live, Crane, Cold War. There's a bunch of mixes of Warsaw Ghetto and a couple mixes of So Bright, So Strong and Get Clean. So in my opinion, this is where these songs are where they really started to sound like themselves. Uh, and in this picture, you see, you know, there's Doug McCarthy on the cover and there's Bon Harris on the right. And the fellow in the middle is David Goodday, who ended up leaving around the time or maybe shortly after these recordings were made. He left the band and uh, actually he's rejoined the band since then, which I'll get to in a bit. So yeah, So Bright, So Strong came out. Then, of course, the epic album, That Total Age, which probably has their best cover art ever. It's just completely iconic, wonderful stuff here. Um, this is probably a high point for Knights of Reb. It's just aggressive, industrial dance tunes here. These are just some amazing tracks. Uh, I'll probably do a whole other episode on this at some point, but yeah. Famously, you know, their their classic tracks, Murderous and Join in the Chant, are on here, among a bunch of others that are great. Let Your Body Learn, Let Beauty Loose, so on. So, good stuff on that. And, of course, in 1989, they came out with Belief. This is a really important album. I want to talk about this some more in the future. This is the first album that Knights Reb did uh, with Flood, the producer Flood, a.k.a. Mark Ellis. Uh they were lucky to get Flood at this point because he was about to blow up completely working with Depeche Mode on Violator, working with uh, U2 and Octung Baby, working with Nine Inch Nails on Pretty Hate Machine. Uh, he would be greatly in demand by the biggest bands in the world within a few years of working with them on Belief. So a lot of great songs on this record a lot of classic Knights of Reb tracks, and in some cases I would say some of the best Knights of Reb tracks are on here. So we'll definitely talk about this later. This is actually a, a British import from Mute Records, has the Mute catalog number up there, has a few extra tracks on it. Um, yeah, so that's a great album, and they worked with Flood on Showtime as well, so this is the second time that they worked with Flood. And... Uh, Really good stuff. This album, I think, is really cohesive. Um, to me, it all sounds like, uh, all, the, all the songs sound like a piece. They all sound like they fit together very well. What's really unusual is that they, you know, it, it, from album to album, Knights of Red was a band that, you know, they had a very defined sound. It was that drums, you know, the, the, the synthesized bass, the arpeggiated bass was a big thing. And then Douglas McCarthy's vocals over all of that really defined their sound and made them sound like no one else. Um, they started to branch out a little bit in Belief, coming up with some more down-tempo tracks. But in Showtime, some of these tracks actually have a jazzy influence, which is pretty strange. Um, there are woodwinds on this record <laughs> where you wouldn't expect to hear woodwinds. 
So it's a bit more organic maybe than their previous stuff, and it's a harbinger of the albums that were to come, which we can talk about in a bit. Uh, so checking out the artwork, you know, very minimalist design. I have to say that I noticed this in stores before I ever bought it, and it got my attention right away. I had no idea, like looking at this, what was on this record, but I almost didn't care. I almost wanted to you know, buy the record just to have this because I just think it it's so iconic and looks so cool. And to this day, if I ever see something that's black and fluorescent orange, I immediately think of Showtime. It's funny, you know, doesn't matter what it is. And the people who say that you can't judge a book by its cover, they're completely wrong. I've judged plenty of books by their cover, and I'm usually right, you know. When I go to the library and I'm looking for something to read, I am absolutely judging books by their cover. And I know right away, you know, something that is not being marketed to someone like me with my interests, uh, and I'm usually right. And I think that's true with this record as well. Um, so the liner notes in here, pretty minimal. There's not much going on. I think this was, you know, around this time, it was, it was kind of trendy to have super minimalistic packaging. So there's like a, a tiny block of print here about how to take care of your CD. <laughs> and here's the NEP90 logo. Nitzareb product was what they called essentially their, their merch division, if you will, which was run by a, a pal of theirs named Simon Granger. Uh, Simon designed all of their album covers and these, I don't know if he always did it. He certainly did it up through this point in their career, all their early singles. And he definitely favored this sort of uh, quasi-militaristic Eastern European sort of motif for all of their all of their stuff, and it's, that's really evident when you start looking at their early singles as well. Uh, and I th I think it's a cool look. It worked for them. It made their stuff pretty identifiable whenever you were looking at them in the stores. Uh, they have a little bit here of special thank thanks to different folks, and of course. A lot of wasted space because that was cool to do in the day. And there's a picture of Doug and Bon in reverse print. So not much going on there. So if we're going track by track, the album starts out with Getting Closer, which is this uh, great opener. It's aggressive. It's, it's catchy. It has a couple different parts to it. It has what sounds like guitar, but I, I think is really just them running synth through a couple overdrive pedals, <laughs> I would bet. I bet it's not guitar. Um, it goes into Nobody Knows, which is a, a cool track. I have to admit that growing up, I used to skip that a lot with the old fast forward button. I don't know why. I think because it was more of a slower down tempo kind of track. Uh, it kind of grew on me over the years. I recognize now that it's it's got a real jazzy influence to it. And many years, a few years later, like three or four years after this record came out, and I heard um, "Death's Door" by Depeche Mode. I'm like, ah, yes, you know, there. It's of the same ilk, right? It's the same sort of treatment. Uh, so, sort of a, a jazzy kind of slower song. One Man's Burden is the next track. It's a great upbeat track. It has some sort of like horns on it. It's also pretty aggressive, um, very straightforward. 
all over is this weird sort of boppy tune, but it has, it's kind of got a good tune in it. And I think it has some upright bass, especially at the end. So again, like I'm in my head, I'm imagining Bond playing this upright bass, which I'm sure didn't happen or who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, My heart has a really heavy, darker kind of uh, feel to it. It's got this like discordant bit at the end. That's really cool. Um, so it's, it's more of a, uh, you know, a darker kind of song. Lightning Man is the big single from this record. It has, uh, strangely has like clarinet or oboe on it, which is a sound I've always loved. Uh, it doesn't matter. I just love the sound of a clarinet. It's such a unique kind of sound. And I have to say the vocals on Lightning Man are amazing, even if the lyrics are almost completely nonsensical. Uh, Rope is a tune that's kind of a slower song. Good song, uh, like sort of nondescript in my mind compared to like Hold On, which is very catchy. It has this like really syncopated rhythm, kind of sort of poppy song, but it sticks in your head for a while. Uh, That leaves Fun to Be Had, which is just more of this good old Knights Rev chanting nonsense. It's uh, an obvious dance track, and it was remixed out the wazoo. It's not really my favorite, but... It's a popular song, and a lot of their uh, a lot of their fans dig it by you know evidence of looking at YouTube and the number of people that sing along to it. So that's the album itself. Just nine tracks, fairly short for an album. Uh, there were a ton of singles for this, and you can see all the singles and the formats. They have you know different arrangements of songs, you know depending on whether it was a 7-inch or 12-inch or the, the alternate 12-inch or the special, really exclusive 12-inch or the CD or the cassette or whatever. There's a million versions of the singles for this album. But the main single tracks that were remixed were Lightning Man and Fun to Be Had and Getting Closer. Um, and I should note that Pylon Records came out with a special expanded version of Showtime a few years ago. It's a two-disc set. I don't know if this is just CD only or if this is out on vinyl also. I have no idea. But you can see it just has a million tracks on it at almost every remix. I'm sure this isn't even every remix because there were so many remixes done in all the different formats. There's no way. I I can tell right away that this isn't all the remixes. So um, some of these remixes were done by like George Clinton, of P-Funk fame, uh, Renegade Soundwave, which were sort of another industrial band around at the time. Uh, I think the Dust Brothers also did some of these remixes. They were, you know, the the guys who ended up, uh, you know, producing the BC Boys' Paul's Boutique album. So some pretty good remixers uh, going on there. Some of these are better than others. I think this was the start of the trend in the late, uh, in the early 90s of just remix overload, right? Every single had to have five or six different remixes on it, some of which had obviously nothing to do with the track in question, and somebody just created their own beats and maybe took a tiny little one-second vocal snippet and repeated it endlessly. So there are a couple remixes like that that are among these, but in general, there are some that are interesting, so it's, I don't know, it was worth it to me to have this. Um, there are also a few real B-sides here. So there was a B-side called Who We Are. It's kind of a slower song. Out of Mind um, 
is another B-side. It had a really nice beat to it. Really enjoy that song. And I think there's uh, there's a couple remixes of these B-sides on here as well. Finally, there's uh, one called Taken From Me that I think is maybe the most interesting of the B-sides. It sounds different. Uh, it's sort of weird and discordant. It has these uh, whispered vocals on it. So I don't know. I, I like that one the best. And I didn't have that B-side, actually. I think it was uh, one that only appeared on a very specific release that was vinyl only or something, which I didn't have. So anyway, this is. Uh, I was happy to see this collection. This was nice to get to be able to pick up all those various remixes I didn't have. But there were a couple other CD format uh, singles as well, like Lightning Man here. It's a little four-track single that is on a CD3 with this crazy little uh, extender on there. So that was kind of fun to get. And there was a similar one for Fun to be Had and Getting Closer. So this is a CD5. It just has uh, those two tracks versions of them and then the out of mind spoken mix on it so that was kind of nifty and then this one's kind of weird this is the so-called green cd as we used to call it back in the 90s and i think this was only released in the united states and it was an attempt by uh geffen records which was their american affiliate of mute to collect a bunch of different remixes from this era onto one disc so it has seven tracks on it. It has a couple tracks of light, uh, remixes of Lightning Man, three of Getting Closer, and two of Fun to Be Had. I remember the Getting Closer pool mix was really kind of strange and out there, and that was really cool to hear. Um, and then the, the Fun to Be Had George Clinton mix, I never really understood. There wasn't much going on in there. I think it sounds exactly like the studio version for seven minutes with maybe one little strange thing thrown in there to just sort of throw you off. But that the George Clinton mix was edited like six different ways and appeared on all these different formats. It's the long mix, the short mix, the whatever mix. You know, they really uh, marketed that out the, the wing-wing. Uh, so those are the releases that I have. I don't think Knights of Reb made any videos for these tracks like official mtv style videos maybe there was one for getting closer now that i think about it i think maybe they did do like a promo video for getting closer so i don't know check youtube for that i'm sure it's interesting uh personnel wise i think this album david gooday had left uh around the time maybe just before belief or when belief was getting started so it was really just bon harris and doug mccarthy um and they were working with Flood. Like I said, this was their second album working with him before he really got hugely popular. Now, live performances of this material, let's talk about that for a minute. So whenever they went on tour to promote this album, they brought in a live drummer. And if I'm not mistaken, they brought in a fellow named Julian Beeston, who is another uh, a, a musician who lived around where they did in England. I think they were in Chelmsford in Essex, if I'm not mistaken. So he was kind of a, a mate of theirs. So they had three guys on stage whenever they would perform this material. And I know that they opened for Depeche Mode on the World Violation Tour to promote Violator. 
And that was important because, you know, they were good friends with Depeche Mode. They were label mates. They, you know, Daniel Miller took both bands under his wing. So Depeche Mode, of course, is one of the biggest bands in the world, or at least they were in the early 90s. You know, undoubtedly one of the biggest bands in the world, along with, you know, U2 and boy, those days are gone, aren't they? But anyway, that, that was that was a fact. And what was interesting was that Knights of Red would use that relationship uh, because in their next recording efforts after Showtime, they would work closely with Alan Wilder of Depeche Mode. Uh, he would produce a, a track and then go on to produce their next album. So I didn't go see that tour myself. I didn't really go out to see much music at that point in my life for whatever reason. Like I said, I, I was growing up in the middle of pretty much nowhere. The closest big town was about 60 miles away. Um, I had a friend, though, who had gone to see that tour and told me all about uh, this crazy opening band that, that opened for Depeche Mode and was talking about how their lead singer had this long hair and was just came out and immediately started headbanging, I guess, to get in closer. <laughs> and what's funny is of course, these days on YouTube, you can find recordings of those performances. And yeah, he was about right. You know, Doug was growing his hair out and he'd come out hollering and shouting and headbanging to get in closer. So that would have been really neat to see in person, but alas, never happened for me. Um, one thing I've noticed about Knights Arab in general is their live performances. So you know, this is a band that keeps it really minimal on stage, and I think they have in the most part, um, at least the shows that I've seen online. You know, the online shows, to be fair, don't go back very far. I think there's one show out there from about 1990 or 91 that's on YouTube that's like a complete show, and it's it's like, it's a revelation. Like, you're seeing that band at the peak of their power. Um, Doug's really able to belt it out. Um, really neat to see. And they basically had like two drum sets on stage. So Doug has a job. He's up there singing, right? So the other guys in the band are either sort of playing along on drums or maybe not doing much. Um, I, I don't know. Like, uh, it, it bugs me, I guess, sometimes. This is my own personal thing. When there's just a guy on stage who's just dancing. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, are you a musician or not? Like, play, play your instrument. And I'm not, like, pointing the finger at anybody in Knights of Reb. I think they're all, like, in their own ways, they're all geniuses, you know, and, and definitely not pointing it at Bon Harris, who, as we'll see, um, is incredibly talented, and, and more about that in a minute. It's just that I wish they'd find more to do on stage, you know, that, that to really bring this music to life. Um, anyway, that's that's just my personal thing, whatever. Uh, you have to always sort of wonder about these bands that get on stage and just press play, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to sing over to an iPod that's playing my music in the background. Like that, that kind of live performance just sort of bugs me for some reason. And, you know, Knights of Reb may have been toying with that sort of arrangement for a few years there. But, you know, they, on the other hand, they, they bring a lot of energy. I, I just, I'm not sure that anything they're doing on stage is really, I'm not convinced it's adding to the music so much as just being like part of the spectacle of the performance. But what the hell do I know? I don't know. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't want to diss Nights of Reb. I think they're a great band. Um, 
you know, and live performance is one thing, but the album itself is rad. I, I love the album. The album speaks for itself, right? However they want to perform it or, or present it to the public. And it's probably my favorite. It definitely is my favorite Knights of Rab album. You know, it strongly brings me back to that 1990 time of being with my high school friends. And, you know, what did we do? We drove around endlessly all night, right? There was nothing else to do. <laughs> Um, so like, where is this band now? Well, they released a few more albums after this one. Uh, in my opinion, those albums were becoming less identifiable as the band. I think they were becoming more conventional pop, which isn't to say there weren't some good songs on there. There definitely were some good songs, but they didn't really grab me the way the first three or four albums really grabbed me. Um, they came out with Ebhead, I think, around 1990 or 91. Um, I don't have a copy of that on CD. I kind of wish I did because I'd love to rant about the cover art. In my opinion, it's one of the ugliest uh, album art that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was after the, the elegance. I mean, if you look at these albums, they're just elegant and they're iconic, right? These albums are iconic and... I mean, they stick in your head. They're, they're beautiful works of art. And they, came, they, they basically broke all the rules, uh, you know, with Ebhead. I think it was just a horrible, horrible art scheme for not only the album, but all the singles. And it, I don't know, that, that was part of what turned me off from that album. But after that, a few years later, they came out with another album called Big Hit, which frankly, I don't think I've ever listened to other than maybe cherry blossom off of that record i'll have to like actually give it a deep listen one of these days to see to see what i think about it um i have nothing to say about it i know that it was the album that you know according to their lore that it didn't go over very well and uh it was the thing that eventually drove bond and doug apart for about 10 years so they broke up in the mid 90s and they got back together around the mid-2000s, and they made another album called Industrial Complex. And I, I don't have a physical copy of that. I bought a digital copy of it. Um, but it kind of goes back to, artwork-wise, it goes back to this sort of minimalist scheme that they had. And the music sounds like them, again, in my opinion. I have listened to that whole album a bunch of times, and... I got to say, it holds up. I love it, um, especially the first track. As soon as you listen to that first track, Promises, it brings you back to what that Knights Reb sound is. And it, it's not them trying to escape their sound. It's them embracing that old sound. But it, it, it also sounds somehow louder and fuller, probably because of the whole loudness wars thing. But in my mind, um, that's what a modern Knights Reb's album should sound like. And, you know, they killed it with that. They went on tour again with Depeche Mode. I can't remember if it was maybe the Sounds of the Universe tour or something like that. I'm really, uh, I love Depeche Mode, love me a lot of Depeche Mode, but have not been a huge fan of their newer material. Um, that's just me. Uh, so I, I kind of lost track of which albums they were going out with and when. Um, but as of this year, as of 2023, Knights of Reb is still on tour. I think they're playing a bunch of dates in Europe uh, as we speak. And the original lineup is back together. So it's uh, Doug McCarthy, Bon Harris, David Gooday, and their art 
fella, Simon Granger, also shows up on stage from time to time. So they, they vary between a three-piece and a four-piece. But I think it's super cool that all of the original guys that were involved with this band are still involved with this band, and they're still doing it the way they know how to do it. Um, Doug McCarthy had some health problems last year, I'm sorry to hear, in 2022. And in fact, he had to miss a really big show they did at a fe- the Hellfest Festival. And in, to their credit, instead of canceling, uh, Bon Harris went on with the show. So from what I can tell, looking at this show, and I, I watched like the whole thing on YouTube, it's Bon on stage with David Goodday, and Bon's doing all the vocals. All the vocals for however many tracks that they did for this show. And to his credit, he did a hell of a job. <laughs> and not only did he do a hell of a job like singing in his own way and not just trying to emulate Doug's singing style, he sang these songs in his own way. And uh, I think he did a fantastic job. Um, but he also had a lot of energy. He has a lot of stage presence. And uh, really just... Uh, really impressed me. Like, here's a guy who had every right probably to cancel that gig because, you know, the the front man got sick, you know, wasn't able to be there. But he's like, ah, I could pull this off. <laughs> and that was no small crowd. When you look at that video, that was a huge crowd. There's thousands and thousands of people there. And it's got to take some balls to be able to go out there and just say, yeah, I'm going to give him the real deal. I'm going to give him Knights of Rev my way, and uh, he sure did. So total credit to Bon, um, really talented guy, still plenty of energy after all these years, and that was great to see. So that's Knights of Rev Showtime, uh, an album I, I have hold dear in my heart, and uh, it's something that I listen to still from time to time. It's always in rotation. All of these, all of these albums that I'm talking to you about, I still play all the time. You know, these are albums that are in regular rotation for me, um, and probably is the reason why I don't have a lot of time or interest in hunting down new music, <laughs> and also because I don't have a Spotify account and couldn't care less about giving Spotify ten dollars a month for the rest of my life. So hell with that. I'm not doing that. But anyway. I definitely love this album. I love it even more because I bought this expanded version that really lets you lets you sink your teeth into a lot of the B-sides and the remixes and the the extra cool stuff that I I didn't hear for the last 30 years. So it kind of puts a new fresh spin on that, which is cool. So that's it. Nights are showtime. Um you know, if you like this discussion, again, stay tuned. I'm going to continue looking at other albums. I have a list of 40 or so of them. I'll start working through that list. Uh, these are like 80s and 90s electronic, industrial, and alternative kind of CDs. You know, so we're on YouTube or pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. There's no fixed schedule. I'm just recording as I feel like it. And I hope to get at least a few episodes out each month. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.